Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to this week's episode of Rossafari Zoo News, your look at everything going on in the world of zoos, aquariums, conservation, animal stuff, all those good things. Um, before we get rolling here, I wanted to give a little plug. Uh, you know, we end every one of these episodes with, um, animal holidays for the week. And, uh, I, I wanted to remind y'all that Peppermint Narwhal, which is an incredible company that if, if you haven't checked out, find them on Insta, check out their Etsy. They're, they're a wonderful company. Um, but they actually do an animal holiday calendar every year and, and you can get it on their Etsy now. And I already have my copy for next year, and that is what I use for my animal holidays segment every week. Um, and it's just, it's really cool. And they have all kinds of other amazing animal art and they're just a great organization. Uh, early on when I started doing zoo news, um, I saw that they had an animal holidays calendar and I reached out to them cause it wasn't on sale anymore. It had sold out or whatever. And I reached out to them and told them about the podcast and my vision for it and how I was hoping to grow it uh, as a conservation education tool and that I was trying to find animal holidays online. And did they happen to have a, a spare copy of their, their current calendar lying around that I could buy from them? And uh, they, they just sent it to me free of charge, even covered the shipping and included a little note basically saying, you know, thanks for your mission and I hope it works out. And here we are a couple years later and it, it seems to be working out. So, um, you know, I'm eternally grateful when organizations are cool like that and uh, have since purchased two of, of their calendars the day they come out for pre-sale because they're really awesome and make my life a lot easier with the podcast. So if you haven't checked out Peppermint Narwhal yet, you really should. It's it's a very cool company. And this is not a paid advertisement or anything. I just appreciate what they do. Um, and speaking of things that I appreciate. I appreciate y'all being here and I would appreciate it if you could go to social medias and click like or follow or whatever the various social media button du jour is uh, on, you know, at Rossafari everywhere, except for TikTok where it's at Rossafari pod. Make sure you hit subscribe to the actual podcast so you don't miss any episodes. Um, yeah, and of course, if you want to support the pod, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash Rossafari uh, for as little as $3 a month. You can support the podcast. Or if you are feeling particularly generous, uh, either because it is this time of year or just because you're listening and like me, uh, you can also Venmo me a single time donation or payment or call it whatever you will. Uh, my Venmo is just at Rossafari. And, uh, yeah, so cool. Those are the things that I wanted to tell you in the like housekeeping department. And then there's one other thing that I wanted to share with y'all that I am really excited about. Y'all, there is a new 
core Pokemon game. Now, I know, I know, I know. If you're not a gamer, you're rolling your eyes right now. But this is actually relevant to animal stuff. Um, so the current generation, uh, for those of you that don't know, when Pokemon games come out, they come out in two of basically the same game with slight variations and slightly different names and only certain Pokemon are available in each game, but then you can trade with people that have them. Man, even for a science education podcast, this is getting nerdy. I realize that. I do. Um, But so the current generation is Scarlet and Violet, and I have Violet because purple is my favorite color. And Zoe got Scarlet so we can catch things in trade that are, you know, unique to each game. Um, But that's not why I am telling you all of this. I am telling you all of this because, you know, Pokemon are often based on animals. There is a subset that are kind of just very realistic animal type Pokemon and then some that are wildly not that. But it seems like the design team for uh, Scarlet and Violet have gone out of their way to make some animal Pokemon that are really true to the actual animals and some really cool kind of exotic species that you wouldn't uh, expect to see represented. There are Pokemon that are based off of dung beetles and eye eyes, which I think is really cool. Um, And man, I've seen dolphins and just there's so much. There's so much. Uh, Lions, polar bears. uh, I'm trying to think. They're just it's it's insane. Of all of the Pokemon games that I've played, which admittedly I have not played a ton, um, but they're the most that are just like you look at the thing and you're like, oh, that's just an animal. There is one. It's called Flamigo, um, and it's it's just a flamingo. It's just a weird little flamingo Pokemon, and it's awesome. There is a koala that is literally clinging onto a branch that is like part of the Pokemon. It's it's really astonishing. Uh, so yeah, if if you're at all like a casual gamer and are into animals, definitely check out Pokemon Scarlet and Violet and. Um, Yeah, check out some of the animals because it's just – I feel like of all of the Pokemon games that I have played, this is the one where I'm just kind of like, oh, I could have like a zoo team where these all just look like normal animals that we know. You know, there's there's giraffes. There's all kinds of stuff. It's just – it's really cool. Um, And I'm having a huge nerdy time playing it. And frankly, I'm really glad that I finished my work for uh, last semester before this game came out or I would probably have failed – but I didn't. I actually got A's in both of my classes, so that's cool. Uh, yeah, all right, all right, all right, all right. Enough about Pokemon. It is time to get to uh, the actual reason that we are here. We're going to start with some slightly sad news, actually some pretty darn sad news, out of Columbus. Uh, Dill Prickle passed away uh, right before the end of November. Uh, Dill Prickle, if you don't know the name, is a longspine porcupine fish, also known as a freckled porcupine fish, that uh, arrived at the Columbus Zoo back in April of 2021. And um, he had a major issue with cataracts, and it was completely ruining his ability to function as a fish. And so um, the zoo did what, you know, really only zoos do, which was innovate 
a cataract surgery on a fish for the first time ever in history, which is just insane and amazing and expensive and awesome that they tried and they tried really hard and it looked like it worked, but unfortunately, Dill Prickle never fully recovered from the effects and uh, has now passed on. Um, so yeah, if you've been following that story, it is a sad one and it's, it's an extra bummer because Dill had a lot of personality. Um, the, the crew at Columbus remember him as curious, inquisitive and playful uh, to the point where sometimes he would even spit water at them to, uh, to mess with them. So yeah, sad that we have lost a Dill Prickle, but you know, again, this is one of those things where had Dill not been in a zoo, first of all, it wouldn't have such an awesome name. And second of all, would have been gone a while ago because there would have been no no other fish out in the wild willing to try cataract surgery on him. So uh, goodbye, Dill. But thanks for being a great reminder of why zoos are, in fact, incredible. And speaking of incredible things at zoos, our good friend Lou Parati, who uh, was a guest on an early episode of the podcast, was recently honored by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. He received a Recovery Champion Award for his work to advance recovery for the American Burying Beetle. Now, if you haven't heard that episode yet, it is quite an old one, but I highly recommend going and checking it out, especially if you are a person who is newer to the podcast and maybe you came here because you saw me drumming with Emily and, uh, you know, you're, you're still kind of learning more about zoos and what's happening here. Okay, go check out that episode because Lou is the director of conservation at uh, Roger Williams Park Zoo up in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. And everything that he talks about is stuff that he does through and with the zoo. And they pay his salary and um, let him do these things. And it's all incredible. And none of it is what you normally see on social media pages. None of it is even visible to the public. Um, it's not just the burying beetles that he he helps to save, but uh, some animals including um, rattlesnakes and, and hares. And they're all bred and kept on site, but out of the public eye so that they can be reintroduced. I actually got to go see those facilities and it is amazing. And again, it's just the type of thing that zoos do all the time, often without flexing about, which sometimes I think is problematic uh, in, in an age where, you know, there's so much anti-captivity propaganda out there. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's really cool. So I, I think as far as early episodes go, uh, my interview with Lou Parati is one of those that I know was was honestly a game changer for me. And I highly recommend you check it out. And uh, congrats to Lou and really the whole team at Roger Williams Park Zoo for allowing him to do the stuff that he does. It's just so cool. Oh, and since I brought up my video with Emily the Elephant, um, this technically counts as zoo news, I guess. Uh, 
I, I know that people still ask me like, oh, how's it doing? And is it still viral? And, and how many views has it gotten? And obviously they have dropped off sharply. Um, things don't stay viral forever. But I think the last thing that I shared with y'all was that we hit 40 million views on our own channels and our own copies of the video. Obviously people shared it without credit, um, which, you know, in some cases there were people like Questlove that did that, which that is just a celebrity that got, uh, I think, you know, around 10 million additional views. Um, but it it turns out that I forgot to um, ever look at the stats on on YouTube. It's it's on the YouTube, and uh, it has twenty seven million additional views on there. So just from the three main videos that I put out, uh, we're currently sitting at about sixty seven million uh, views, which is insane. Um, yeah, so that's just, people ask about that all the time. So I thought I would throw that out there and, um, I've spoken to the team at Buttonwood and they said that, you know, the reaction has been incredible and that it has gotten them a lot of, uh, you know, new followers and just a lot of interest, just like it did for Safari. So I just think that's so cool. And it, it's so neat to be just a, a part of that thing and just doing something that I loved and was passionate about. Uh, clearly connecting with so many people was was awesome. But I'm guessing you're all sick of hearing about Emily at this point. So I, I will move on. That was just for those who ask. The Indianapolis Zoo has announced their new campaign for our zoo, our community, our world. Uh, this is a really big campaign happening at the Indy Zoo right now. Um, and new things that they are working towards include a reimagined zoo entry and guest welcome center experience and the Global Center for Species Survival. They also, in 2024, will open the International Chimpanzee Complex, where you will get to see um, chimpanzees traveling across the zoo to multiple locations, and they will have a choice of which of those areas they want to be hanging out in at any given time. Uh, so that's that's beyond exciting. Um, if you go to at Indianapolis Zoo on uh, Facebook or Instagram, you can see artist renderings of the new entrance, which includes some really cool animal ambassador areas and also how some of the chimpanzee stuff is going to work. And it, it all just looks amazing. Um, I really love the Indy Zoo, and uh, I think this is going to be just a really cool, really new entrance way and um, – and, and other exhibits that are going to make an already incredible zoo even more incredible. Now, I, I, I know, I know that I have, I have been reporting on this story maybe a little more than it deserves, but I just love it so much. So I told you that Connecticut's Beardsley Zoo was having an election uh, so that you could help determine what animal would become the mayor of the zoo. And then I told you that Rhubarb, the two-toed sloth, won the election and uh, has been sitting as mayor-elect since then. Well, I am pleased to announce that at 9.30 in the morning on December 8th, Rhubarb was officially inaugurated as the mayor of Beardsley Zoo. 
the uh, inauguration uh, was carried live on the zoo's Facebook and Instagram accounts. And honestly, even the press release announcing this just brings me so much joy that this is why I'm bringing it up. Um, so they said the swearing in ceremony will be conducted by zoo director Greg Dancho and witnessed by zoo staff and rainforest friends. After taking the official oath of office, Rhubarb will have the opportunity to make remarks or to go back to sleep. The Farmyard Party earlier issued a statement on behalf of the current mayor, Harry the Guinea Hog, promising allegiance to rhubarb and a smooth transfer of power. As the second-place winner, Giancarlo, the maned wolf, will serve as runner-up if rhubarb is unable to fulfill his duties through the duration of his term. Rhubarb is the first sloth to hold the zoo's highest office. You know, I have a, a thing that I love to say a lot. I mean, this is not like something I invented, but I always say that for something to be funny, you have to commit to the bit. And this is why I, you know, two months ago or whenever that was, started talking about bintlets and then started talking about other baby animals by being lits and still do it. Heck, this is why the end of every episode has that weird thing where I say credits backwards or newsy credits backwards because... I don't know. I did it a couple of times and I thought it was funny. And here we are two and a half, almost three years later, and I commit to the bit. So props to Beardsley Zoo for truly committing to the bit. And also, uh, yay, rhubarb. Mystic Aquarium recently did an awesome thing. Uh, there was a group of people suffering from Alzheimer's and dementia who got to go on a special tour through the aquarium on their own uh, and and with other people with the same issues so they could experience uh, relating to nature and seeing incredible things while also being able to be together and talk about what they're going through and what their lives are like. And um, this was put on through the Alzheimer's Association. And uh, I got to watch some video footage of it. And it's it's a really beautiful thing. Um, I, I love the thought of, you know, just seeing people with this huge struggle getting such joy out of seeing beluga whales and seals and stuff like that. It was, it was very cool to see. Um, also, on a side note, since I do like being a little more personal on the uh, the Zoo News episodes, you know, grief is a funny thing. It's been a while since Poppy passed and a couple years since Nanny passed. Um, and both of them were, uh, you know, kind of starting to show some signs of, I don't know if it was really dementia or just aging. But I will tell you that, um, you know, in talking to family members, the, the word dementia got um, tossed around a lot towards the end of both of their lives. And uh, just doing prep for this story and, and realizing I hadn't heard that word since, uh, since Poppy passed was, was weird and brought back a lot of grief. And, um, you know, I think it's important to share the things that we go through in life and to, to share our struggles sometimes. And so, uh, yeah, I had to stop recording for a little bit and just, uh, just process that. Um, on a side note, when Nanny was around, um, she she never quite could call it Alzheimer's when talking about the disease. It was always Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's disease. And uh, I just, I loved that so much. I miss that lady. I miss them both. Uh, but um, yeah, so hopefully if you are somebody who knows somebody who is struggling with Alzheimer's disease, you can get at least a small chuckle next time you hear that word by picturing Alzheimer's disease said over and over again. Anyway, that brings us to Stereotypes. 
typical animal podcast theme song. Here to bring you to conservation news. So, the biggest bit of news this week is not actually in the zoo news section for a change, but is in conservation news. The Big Cat Public Safety Act has now passed the U.S. Senate. It had already passed the House of Representatives, and it will now go to President Biden to be signed into law. This is a huge deal and a major win for Big Cats. Um, so this is a collaboration that was worked on by so many groups and individuals that normally don't get along. Um, Born Free was one of the, uh, say anti-captivity groups who believe that all animals should be in the wild uh that worked on this um PETA supports this uh the AZA supports this Carol Baskin yep that one supports this it's it's actually amazing how many different groups came together to support this legislation and help to push it over the finish line. I'm saying that because we're all assuming that President Biden will sign it into law. Um, but yeah, so uh, the idea here is that um, the act prohibits the private possession of big cats and also bans public contact with big cats, meaning that things like cub petting are going to be uniformly illegal and therefore hopefully all of those bad breeding practices that you hear about that that lead to cub petting things that you may have seen on tiger king or things that roadside zoos do all the time it's now all illegal and that is not allowed anymore that industry effectively should be shut down as should the pet trade in big cats this stuff is done at least uh you know from a legal perspective and so it's just really exciting um also, you know, I was mentioning all the different groups that came together, but this was also uh, something that was um, supported. Uh, it was a bipartisan bill. That's the phrase I was looking for. It was a bipartisan bill. Um, even the the sponsors of the bill in the House and the, uh, the Senate uh, were a mixture of Democrats and Republicans. And I just think that is really, really cool and rare in this day and age. So the fact that so many groups that do not get along, both on the animal side of things and on the political side of things, came together to make this happen is really cool and really meaningful. And uh, we're just going to be really excited about it and hope that the president doesn't screw it up. I, I firmly believe he will do the right thing. Now, in some less good news, uh, we're going to talk about sea turtles for a minute again. And, um, you know, if you're listening every week, then you know that sea turtles are facing all kinds of issues right now. Uh, the global warming effect of climate change is kicking sea turtle butts. Um, their biological sex is determined by the temperature that the egg is at. And so as temperatures rise, you're going to see an imbalance between males and females in the species, which makes breeding harder. There have been all kinds of issues with turtles showing up and getting stranded on beaches where they shouldn't be. And um, even, even some of the good news we've reported on recently about sea turtles, uh, like them showing up to nest at places that they had abandoned 
for hundreds, if not thousands of years. While that sounds good on the surface, we don't really know what's causing it. And so it actually could just be scary because it is a behavior change in like current sea turtles, even though it does seem to be a return to, you know, their former behavior. So might be a good thing. I don't know. Anyway, but a a study has shown that the number of sea turtles becoming hypothermic and getting trapped in Cape Cod Bay has been increasing over the past decade and that it has uh, gotten really bad in the last couple of years. Um, hundreds of turtles annually get stranded here when it used to be 10 or so. And um, at New England Aquarium Sea Turtle Hospital, for instance, the number of uh, patients that they see has quadrupled since 2012. Um, yeah, so it's it's a big issue. And up in Cape Cod in particular, it's really affecting uh, Kemp's Ridley turtles. But green sea turtles are affected as well. And actually, it's expected that a little later in the season, the loggerhead numbers will rise as well. So just uh, further evidence that sea turtles are getting into some serious trouble right now. And it's, it's, you know, it's hard to think about that because this is a species that has survived in, in some form or another, um, since the dinosaurs. So hopefully they can figure it out or maybe, I don't know, we could stop doing things that wipe them out. Just a thought. The battle against poaching in Mozambique has a new ally and it is a Swedish ally. Uh, there is a company, a uh, Swedish electric bike company, that is sending e-bikes to the park rangers throughout Mozambique to help them protect game. Uh, for starters, this eliminates the need to have fossil fuels powering the vehicles that are used to uh, you know, fight poaching and thus uh, hurt conservation in one way while helping in other ways. But also, they are silent bikes, meaning that poachers won't be able to hear engines and escape as easily. So that's just really cool. And it's, it's nice to see. Uh, it's just nice to see, really. I mean, it's just a feel-good story. These rangers are getting these bikes, and they're quiet, and uh, they're, they're not using fossil fuels, and it's going to help save animals. Uh, what a world. In a recent episode of Zoo News, I mentioned that there were scientists looking into the effect of offshore wind electricity production and the effects that it might be having on ocean creatures and such. Um, this is something that uh, the Biden administration is pushing for, and it's it's a you know hypothetically great way to get some free clean energy. Um, however, unrelated to that study that's looking into potential issues, Bloomberg recently used a Freedom of Information Act request uh, to discover that there are government documents that had not been released to the public until this point that show that the offshore wind industry poses a severe threat to some endangered species, including the very endangered right whale population in the North Atlantic that uh, we are fighting so hard to protect. Um, in general, it seems like regulators have focused entirely on the lobster industry being the problem uh, that's causing so much damage to the right whale population. However, according to these government documents, the noise and general uh, construction stuff being done to create these wind turbines is having a huge effect on the quality of life 
on these right whales and other animals in the area. So um, while I'm sure that the the lobster uh, fishermen are also causing problems and there are some stories of you know, right whales being caught in traps and and killed and such like that still is a problem. But it actually turns out that this clean energy issue is is also a problem. And, you know, I love to point it out every chance I get. But again, here's that debate with conservation. Well, we need clean energy and we need to fight climate change, but we need to protect the endangered right whale and other animals in the ocean. So dot, 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 question mark. And uh, that is the challenge that conservationists face daily. So an interesting bit of information. And I'll be curious to see uh, now that this information is public, what that does moving forward. And then last but not least in conservation – okay, no, actually, it's totally least. It is by far and away the least important story in conservation news. Um, but uh, this week, the Oklahoma Department of Wildlife Conservation put out a tweet that said, there is nothing silly about a goose. It's time for other news. It's time for other news. The world's oldest tortoise, who is named Jonathan, just like me, although you better call me John, uh, recently marked his 190th birthday. That is astonishing. Um, In his lifetime, uh, he has seen two world wars, eight British monarchs, 40 U.S. presidents, the first phone call, the first skyscraper, the first power-driven flight, the first people to walk on the moon, uh, the first photograph of a person, and uh, the creation of a postage stamp for the first time. And ironically, now uh, you can get postage stamps with Jonathan on them. It's pretty astonishing uh, what he has seen or, you know, mostly ignored while moving slowly and eating grass um, in his long life. Jonathan lives at Plantation House on the island of St. Helena, and uh, he has lived there for about 140 years. And um, honestly, he's believed to have born in 1832, but arguably could be even older. They they didn't have perfect records, but so that's like a an early estimation. It could have been much older, which is is crazy to to think about. Um yeah, and uh so he's he's living and he's happy. He has tortoise friends. He is the oldest tortoise in the world and is also the oldest known land animal alive. Jonathan is blind and has no sense of smell, but he still has great hearing, and he actually really loves humans and human interactions. And you can go and get a selfie with Jonathan and, and you know, give him little scritches on the shell, and, and he absolutely loves it. Uh, in case you're wondering, uh, his vet, Joe Hollins, describes Jonathan's primary interests as sleeping in the sun— or sleeping beneath grass clippings, eating, and mating. Uh, Despite the fact that he is 190 years old, Jonathan still has good libido and is frequently seen to mate with both Emma 
and Fred, because um, there's not a lot of gender sensitivity in tortoises. That's right, y'all. Bisexual tortoise. I love it. Happy birthday, big guy. This next story starts way back in 1936, so not exactly current news, but it, it actually is. We'll get there. See, way back in 1936, as Jonathan was already thriving and sleeping with a bunch of male and female tortoises, um, the last thylacine, or Tasmanian tiger, passed away. Uh, it was an old female animal that had been captured by a trapper and sold to a very disreputable zoo. And um, a couple months later, uh, the thylacine died, and that was the last thylacine alive as far as anyone knows. Or I should say, will be the last one alive until this company Jurassic Parks it again that we've talked about in previous episodes. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go and listen because it's, it's insane. Um, cool, insane, and also just crazy insane. But Anyway, so after the thylacine died, its body was taken to the Tasmanian Museum and Art Gallery in Hobart, Tasmania. And uh, it was hidden away in a cupboard at the museum because it was not entirely certain that it was okay for them to have this body because it had been sold awkwardly and then died unexpectedly and all the things. So yeah, like any smart scientists doing the right logical thing, question mark. They hid it in a cupboard, and then they lost it. And since that time, it has been assumed by the museum that the body was actually discarded. Turns out it wasn't. It was just left in a cupboard. Yep, left, cupboard. And it has just recently been found. That's the zoo news. Uh, the long lost remains of the last known Tasmanian tiger have been found in a cupboard in early December of 2022. I, 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 I'm just blown away by that. I don't even, I don't even have any commentary other than what the... So for this next story, I don't want to be all alarmist here, but it is worth mentioning. Uh, this whole pesky climate change thing that we keep talking about, well, it has led to the thawing of the permafrost, which apparently was not a great name after all, um, in Siberia, in Russia. And uh, so far as this has happened, a team of European researchers have found 13 previously unknown pathogens that they're referring to as zombie viruses, which I think is adorable, uh, in the previously frozen ground there. The reason they are calling these zombie viruses, not because they are viruses that will turn us into zombies, this isn't a prequel to the prequel to, I think, now the prequel of The Walking Dead that is out. I don't know. I stopped following that show many years ago. But anyway... Um, it's just because these are like these undead viruses that have been frozen that we don't know anything about and don't know what effects they will have and, and probably don't want getting out into our animal or, you know, human populations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if we know really what it's like to have some kind of virus rip through the, uh, the population and cause all kind of havoc. But, um, yeah, 13 so far have been found. So that's something to keep an eye on. So here's your friendly reminder that we're in the last month of the Year of the Wildcat. Year of the Wildcat. 
And then let's see here. So we are dropping this on December 9th, which is the next to last day of Walrus Awareness Week. And honestly, one of the things that I'm the proudest of in this entire uh, last two-week period that overlapped Walrus Awareness Week is that I have not once had to stop recording when I said Walrus Awareness Week. I don't know if y'all remember from a year ago. I doubt you do. But I tried to talk about Walrus Awareness Week so many times, and I kept calling it Walnuss Awareness Week, Walnuss Awareness Week, and it just drove me crazy. And I've become so much more aware of walruses that I no longer have a problem saying Walrus Awareness Week. And yes, I promise you, even through all of those, I did not screw up and say Walrus Awareness Week. Although if I keep saying that, I'm going to, so I'm going to stop saying that now. Anyway, moving on from there, the uh, 13th of December is the National Day of the Horse. The 14th is Monkey Day and also starts the Christmas Bird Count, which will be running through January 5th. So those are your animal holidays for the week. All right. So there you have it. That's your uh, Rossafari Zoo News episode for the week. I'd like to say thanks to Laura Shank, my Red Panda level patron, and also to the following people who contributed to this week's episode. Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Kevin Williams, Peter Oilo, and Elizabeth Dunlevy. Thank you all so very much for your contributions. And to all of you that are listening, don't forget that you too can contribute by tagging me in things and emailing them to me and all that good stuff. All say your name and everyone will be happy. And uh, with that said, uh, here's your friendly reminder that the words Newsy Credits Backwards our Steiderk Yeswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.